The following program is paid for by Busey Bank. It's time for Money Talk, your chance to call in and receive answers to all your financial questions, from investment management to planning for your retirement and beyond. The experts at Busey Wealth Management are here to help, so you don't have to navigate these difficult financial decisions alone. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. Call in now, 356-9397. And now here is Money Talk. And good morning and welcome to Money Talk. I'm your host, Kurt Anderson. And you know what? It's going to be a nicer day today by the end of the day. I'm looking forward to doing some back porch uh, sitting tonight when I get home. I just have to be 70 and sunny. So I uh, hope we all enjoy that out there. But again, welcome to Money Talk. And uh, my co-host today, as usual, is uh, is Aaron Sutton. Aaron Sutton's a chartered financial analyst, senior vice president and investment portfolio manager at Busey Wealth Management. Aaron, welcome back as always. Yeah, good morning. I'm really looking forward to that warmer weather. I had a <laughs> baseball game with my son the other day, and I think it was about 45 and breezy. Oh, it was brutal. So I can't wait. My grandkids are down in central Florida, or down in, well, actually in Destin, Florida. And uh, every night I get a video because they all have games, and um, I get videos of them. And it's like 75, 80 degrees. You know, Sunny, they're playing. Yeah. yeah, they're out there in their shorts <laughs> and, you know, t shirts, playing ball. And it, uh, yeah, I can't wait for that here, too. But it's coming. It's coming this weekend, I hear, 85 or something yep, like that. It's going to be nice. Well, Aaron. Lots of ha- lots of things have happened in the last thirty days. Always, uh, yeah. With the economy, we've got the war in Ukraine. So many things going on. So let's bring our listeners up to date. Um, you know, with the markets, we want to talk interest rates. Yep. And then the second half of the program, we got a very special guest today, and you're going to want to stay tuned for for him and <laughs> his insight on a few items. And uh, I I just got so pumped up he was going to be here today. So uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But right now, Aaron. All right. Yeah. So Kurt. As you said, never a dull moment uh, in this business. And so what I'd start off with is some of the key data that always comes out on this date. Uh, the unemployment claims. Uh, you know, the labor market is such an important part of our economy. We always like to monitor what's going on there. And so today we got the unemployment claims reading. And again, it fell slightly. Um, and this has really been the trend uh, for some time now. So claims fell about 2000 to 184000 that did miss estimates just a little bit, uh, but still trending the right direction. And it is just an extremely tight labor market out there. We've talked about this before, uh, but that has really continued to stay in place. Uh, in fact, when we look at continuing claims as well, uh, those dropped to about 1.4 million. That's the lowest in 50 years. So again, just an extremely strong reading there. And really why this is so important is consumer spending drives about two-thirds of our economy. So when people have jobs, uh, they're going to be spending money. They're going to be buying things. They're going to be paying taxes, too. Going to be paying taxes. And speaking of that, I think it's going to be a very high tax revenue year, just based on what the markets did last year. But Mm -hmm. maybe we can get into that. We'll see if we have time. Um, But anyways, you know, just another indication of this is when you look at job openings, there's actually – 5 million more job openings than there are available labor pool. And so, again, this is really the case. We've said it before. Anybody that wants a job can get one. Um, And because of this tight labor market, we've really seen uh, wages going up as well. So, again, this is good for consumers, good for spending. Businesses, yeah, they're having to kind of 
figure out a way to pay these higher wages. So, uh, yeah, that's gonna that's been a little bit of a struggle here. Aaron, tell me how much of it is the Great Resignation, if you will. Uh, I mean, I've certainly yeah. seen with my clients many, many people uh, not so much resigning but retiring earlier than yep. they thought. And, I mean, especially I had a lot of university clients that, you know, normally they might work into their 70s because mm-hmm. they can. They're professors and things like that. And they're all saying, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. I was talking to a uh, somebody in our industry uh, yesterday uh, that said as he goes around and meets with wealth advisors that so many of them kind of – Late fifties and the sixties are just hanging it up, you know, saying I, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, and I know a lot of it's from the pandemic. I know and things like that. But how much is it that? And then those other people that just said I'm not going back to work. Uh, we're getting along fine on one salary. Or I mean, kind of how how do we divide that up? Yeah, I, I don't have the hard numbers in front of me, but what you just mentioned is the biggest factor. I have seen that data, but like I said, I don't really have the the numbers right in front of me, but. Uh, people retiring early has been the biggest factor. Um, and so, like you said, with the pandemic, it's caused them to kind of maybe reevaluate things, but also, too, with the very strong market returns we've had, uh, you've had this wealth effect, and people feel comfortable based on their assets uh, to be able to retire. So that's number one. The other big one, too, though, and we saw this really during the height of the pandemic, is a lot of women actually left the labor force uh, because of homeschooling, uh, they had to drop out, help take care of the kids. They couldn't send them to daycare. That was the second major trend we saw uh, with okay. the employment rate, and that's affecting the participation rate that we're seeing. So I would say it's really those two are the major trends. Um, and now what we haven't seen are people who retired coming back, but we are starting to see some of those women come back into the labor force. But it's been, at a, I would say, a very gradual pace so far. Well, I would think that a lot of employers would have to be very creative with people. You yeah. know, I think what will happen is people will go back to work on their own terms. Yeah, either part-time or be a little more flexible about coming into the office. Yeah, you're certainly seeing that in a right. number of areas. You're right. exactly right. right. Let's talk about interest rates. Sure. Yeah, so you know, I brought some numbers here. At the last show, uh, the 10-year Treasury bond was at about 2.2%. That's now about 2.9%. Uh, so rates just continue to rise pretty steadily here. Um, and we've talked about this before. This is going to have really a number of effects uh, on investments and the economy. Uh, and really the overall goal of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates is really to cool things off a little bit. Uh, you know, we've talked about before some of these high inflation readings we've been getting. So the Fed is trying to raise interest rates to just cool off the markets just a bit bring down that inflation rate, but hopefully not send us back into a recession. And so if you hear this term kind of soft landing, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what they're trying to do. Uh, Just slow things down a bit, but not enough to, again, contract the economy is kind of the biggest fear. Well, just think about mortgage rates, for example. Yeah. Uh, What we've seen over the last couple of years is you've seen real estate values go just, you know, it's like a rocket. Yeah. And a lot of that was fueled by low interest rates. The financing was cheap. Yep. And but you know, literally in the last three months, we've gone from mortgages in the upper three percent range to between five and six. Yeah, it's over five now. Yeah. And when so, if you just factor in your interest cost, mm-hmm. I mean, it's up like you know thirty, forty percent. Yeah. <laughs> in two months. Yeah. And so that's, that's got to either slow that down or start bringing prices back down. 
Yeah, and you're starting to see that a little bit. Uh, housing sales have been a little weak, but those prices have continued to rise. And Well, a lot of that is because there's no inventory. That's exactly right. It's a very tight market. It, it really still is a sell, seller's market. Uh, but you're exactly right. With those higher rates, it's going to add you know, several hundred dollars a month to the mortgage cost. And at some point, that's going to have an impact. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not buying a new home, you're probably not buying new furnishings and new washers and dryers and new things. There's a lot of things that really slow down because of that, not just the home. Well, and that's even if you can get those washers and dryers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah we've, but it's we've all heard chip stories related, about that. right? It's all chip related. Exactly. Well, you know, related to that, one of the other news items I had here, um, and this is just pretty staggering, you know, I know some of our listeners have heard about you know, the lockdowns in China, uh, they still have the zero COVID policy. To put that in perspective, uh, I pulled this this morning. There are now about 45 cities uh, under some sort of lockdown, and that equates to about 400 million people uh, that are in some sort of lockdown over in China. To put that in perspective, we have about 330 million as our total population here in the U.S., so more than the U.S. population's locked down. And the reason I bring this up is we've had supply constraint issues for some time. I think we might see that kind of continue into the second half of this year with the amount of lockdowns we're having. So um, while the Fed's trying to do their best to battle inflation, this may kind of exacerbate that problem if we continue to have those supply constraints because of these lockdowns. So it again, seems like it's becoming a little bit of a perfect storm between supp- you know, supply constraints, uh, higher interest rates, higher inflation, a mm-hmm. war in Ukraine. And we're, we haven't even touched on agriculture, which we are in yeah. just a few minutes. That's a, that's a teaser for just a few minutes. Um, but there's just so many things coming together. Yeah, the Fed really has their work cut out for them. Uh, this is really a balancing act that they're trying to manage. They're keeping an eye on all these things uh, to try to determine what their interest rate policy should be. It looks like we're probably going to get a hike of about 50 basis points uh, come May. Um, that's really what's being priced into the market. But you're exactly right. There are a lot of variables at play here. So it really is. Which quite really a leads act. to the volatility that we've seen in the marketplace. Because that's right. It's like people are whiplashing every day on something new that's come out and what impact that will have. Yeah. So speaking about that, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's focus. Let's kind of move from interest rates, unless you've got any other great tidbits you want to share. Um, you know, Probably one other tidbit I had, I wanted to get this out there because there's so much negative news out there. I, I found this was really positive. As we talked about before, how important consumer spending is. Well, we've had a lot of the big banks uh, report this week, and one of their big businesses is their credit card business. Mm-hmm. And so they have some really good data around credit card spending, and those numbers were up dramatically uh, year over year. So I wanted to throw out some of these numbers. Uh, so I pulled out three of the big banks. Uh, we got Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. They saw consumer spending on their credit cards up anywhere from about 20 to 30 percent in the first quarter of this year yeah. uh, versus last year. So, uh, again, this is important for a number of reasons. Like I said, it drives the majority of our economy, but it should help support corporate profits, uh, which in turn supports the market. So, uh, again, with all the negative news out there, I did just want to highlight uh, that really positive. Could some of that be, Aaron, the fact that it can't really get big ticket items right now? I mean, like, for example, I mean, things you would buy on a credit card. I yep. mean, home prices have gone up dramatically and there's no supply. Uh, there's been a chip shortage in the auto industry and you can't hardly buy a car. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, take it off, you know, you can't get appliances. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're just saying, hey, we're going to take a trip. 
or we're going to do this. And I know that, you know, uh, American Airlines, a number of airlines are saying they're going profitable now. Yeah. That the, yeah. the demand is just crazy. And one of my clients is a Southwest Airlines pilot. He said he, ha- he brings his lunch now when he goes on flights because you cannot eat in an airport because you might be in a line 70 to 80 people deep just to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, we're getting close to pre-pandemic travel levels. And, yeah, you're exactly right. That was the biggest uh, line item. Uh, travel and dining is really where that increase came from. Um, and so, yeah, that's translated into good uh, airline profits, and it's looking really good for the travel industry right now. Okay. So let's let's okay let's let's hit the stock market. So we've talked about interest rates. We talked about inflation. Some. Yeah. You know, let's kind of talk about you know, you know the market we know is volatile, mm-hmm. but you know seems to be going up. It seems to be pretty positive. We haven't had the big one, if you will. We haven't had any dramatic dramatic drops uh, that are you know of a of a large nature. So kind of where are we with the markets? Yeah, you're right. So we finished the quarter on a pretty strong note. And so since our last radio show, uh, if you look at the S&P 500, it's actually positive. It's up about 2.3% from a month ago. Now, that's not enough to get it back into positive territory for the year. So Yeah, but you had a really good year last year. (laughs) That's right. You got to put it all in perspective. Yeah, it was up over 30%. So I think being down 6% now year to date, yeah, when most people look at their statements, they're somewhat okay with that. You know, nobody likes to see losses, um, but I think in many cases that's better than what most people expected, again, given everything going on in the world today. Yeah. Um, you know, really looking within the market, it's still the energy sector uh, is by far the best performer. Uh, it's up 46% year-to-date. Uh, yeah, but, it, we, it, but also it went nowhere for about six, seven right. years. <laughs> it's making up for lost time, yeah. for sure. Since for 2015, sure. I think it's just been a, kind of been dead money a little That's bit. That's right. That's right. Um, but the other good news is we have a few other sectors in positive territory now. Uh, at the time of our last show, it was really just the energy sector that was positive. Uh, but now we see utility stocks, staples, materials. Those are all now in positive territory year right. to date. And so, in fact, uh, most of those make up what we kind of call the value stocks. And if you look at the S&P 500 value index, it's actually positive for the year. Um, So if you are in a large cap value fund, you may actually be seeing some positive returns year to date uh, as that index is up about 1.7% year to date. Uh, Now, on the flip side, yeah, it's been those growth stocks that have been hitting hard. Part of that is due to rising interest rates. I don't know if we have time to get into that today, but those higher rates uh, do affect the growth stocks a little more from a valuation standpoint. Um, And so those are down about 13% year to date. You know what this shows, though, Aaron, that, you know, we never try to predict what the market's going to do because it's kind of a fool's errand. Yeah, yeah. And it just shows a show that all these things are going on that one might think, oh, my gosh, the sky's falling and the, and the markets will be down. And then look at it. It's it's hanging in there uh, despite everything that's going on. You know, you just and that's why, you know, when you're in the market, if you're diversified, you stay in the market. Diversify is the key word right yeah, there. That's right. the reason you want to own a lot of different things in your portfolio, because at any time, some things might be doing poorly, and some might be offsetting that. Right, so, yeah. right. So I think this is a lesson, you know, a reminder of a lesson we all know. Exactly. It's just a reminder of it. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back to Money Talk. At BC Bank, we're proud to connect communities through financial outreach and economic opportunity. Building a stronger, more vibrant community, BC offers tools and resources to individuals, families, and business owners to achieve financial success. 
Building strong financial futures, one family, one street, one city at a time. UC Bank, member FDIC, proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini. You have the ideas, the tenacity, and the follow-through. UC Bank's experts are here to help with the capital. With deep knowledge and trusted guidance, UC will help you prepare a comprehensive financial business plan that boosts your livelihood and keeps your business successful for years to come. UC Bank, building business, growing wealth since 1868. Proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini, member FDIC. And welcome back to Money Talk. I'm your host, Kurt Anderson, with my co-host, Aaron Sutton. We spent the first half of the show talking a little bit about interest rates, inflation, the markets, and things like that. But now we're going to shift gears to agriculture. And uh, many of you may or may not know that Busey uh, has a division of our company that really does a lot in the agricultural field, Busey uh, Ag uh, Services. Uh, that's headed up by our guest today, Mr. Steve Myers. Steve is a Senior Vice President and Director of Busey Ag Services. Steve, welcome to the program. Good morning. Happy to be here. Yeah. You know, that obviously agriculture has such a huge impact on the community we live with and the state of Illinois and such. And I recently visited with Steve, and I just thought some of the things that he talked about based on the current environment, the war in Ukraine, which I've been heard is called like the breadbasket of Europe, Okay, and they 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 produce a lot of grains there and things like that is obviously impacting here us here in Champaign, Illinois. And so I really wanted to bring Steve in to kind of talk about it, Steve. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to just say exactly what I said to you the other day. Give me give me what's up in the ag field. Yeah. I'm going to let you go. Uh, yeah. Wow. So uh, over the next two hours, we'll be talking about a number of things. <laughs> uh, but, you know, all, all joking aside, you know, the you we're all affected by the same things that Aaron was talking about earlier. We're talking about interest rates, the the, the Ukrainian-Russian conflict. It, it you know agriculture is not out on its own. It's all interrelated. When we talk about China and the shutdowns in China, you know, and we're talking about both imports and exports that we're receiving and and, and sending to China, it's all interrelated. It is agriculture does not stand off on its own. Yeah. So let's let's first start off with what impact is the conflict in Ukraine having on the markets on agriculture? Sure. So in Ukraine right now, so let's get it into perspective. Very diverse e economy of agriculture in Ukraine and Russia. But when we look at one commodity, wheat, for example, Russia exports more wheat than anybody, more than U.S., more than Canada. Uh, but Ukraine is is about a top five, top six. And when we, in terms of wheat exportation, and but it, but they raise a lot of oil seeds, not so much in the corn and soybean side of things. But their April and May is our April and May, meaning that their planting season is just starting to begin right now. So part of the fear that has gone along with this conflict that's going on uh, is is what will happen to those planted acres. So here we are uh, in third week of April, and at this point, they're about 20% planted of what they would normally plant. Well, here in Champaign County right now, we're only about 5% planted. So so they have some of those same uh, trials of, of trying to get a crop plant that we do, but but when they look at where they're at in their planting progress for 2022 spring seeded crops, they're about 20%. The expectation is that 
with the war-torn areas that primarily go from the north to the east right now, and the main growing area, call it Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa, is more in the west or west-central portion of the Ukraine. But they would expect, they being the USDA, expects right now about 70 to 80 percent of all of their spring seeded acres will get planted. They have no expectation that 100% of their spring seeded acres will get planted. So that weighs heavily on the markets, right? So heavily on the markets means uh, if we're going to be short of weed, if we're going to be short of oil seeds, it's driving commodity prices up. And then we see that uh, you know a, a reasonable reaction is, well, heck fire, if we're not going to get a product from the Ukraine, uh, we're going to have to secure it somewhere else. So in a supply and demand world, a finite supply of, of wheat, for example, in this example, is it's driven those prices up. Are we going to do our best to go out and produce more wheat, more oil seeds, and more corn? Absolutely are. But it's some of that fear in the, of the unknown that's driving prices up at this time. Now, I think you told me that Ukraine would produce, on average, about what Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa would produce. True. Yep. yep. So it's kind of like... Could it's be Indiana, deal. Iowa, and Illinois go offline, yeah. or they, or I think you gave me the example. It's like we would have a bad drought. That's right. That's right. So, so if you think about that, hundred percent of the acres of Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa, and you say, as I just said earlier, seventy to eighty percent. Well, that's like saying Illinois is only going to have a seventy percent crop. Well, you know, we start running around with our hair on fire, you know, then <laughs> and saying, you know, this is bad, right? Well, yeah. this is bad in a global marketplace. Right. You know, and we always have those offsets that go along with that. And I'm talking about global food production. Don't remember this, but big picture over the last five years, we've brought about 73 million more acres in the last five years globally than we had in row crop production five years ago. So there's some offsets off, out there, but but we have a couple other things playing that are that's just not a Ukrainian thing. A South American crop that was a little short, wasn't terrible, but it was a little short. A ongoing dryness, dare I say drought, in the West, meaning Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska. And so there's, you know, it all, again, ties in together, both the global side of it, Ukraine, South America, and the Midwest. But it, it, it's, it's like what you talked about, the black swans, the convergence of a lot of things. It's, it's the same type of convergences that are happening from a production standpoint and an inflationary standpoint in agriculture today. Share with our listening audience what this has done to commodity prices, what it's done to land prices, what it's done to input prices. Yeah, yeah. I'll start with the bad news first because get that out of the way. But, you know, especially for fertilizer prices. And when I say fertilizer prices, I'm talking about nitrogen. I'm talking about urea ammonium nitrate. I'm talking about urea. I'm talking about MAP uh, and DAP and potash. You know, all things that are used for the production of all grains. Those fertilizer prices, all-time highs every category, wow. every category on the fertilizer side. And then when we look at some of the supply and demand issues that go along with, say, logistics from China for herbicides, or uh, not, not so much seeds. Seeds have, have had a li more limited impact because they're produced right here, say, in the Midwest. But, but herbicides, particularly fertilizers, all-time high. So, you know, uh, the, the bad news is, is that there is no doubt that, that a farmer's uh, per acre expense, uh, I think I'd read something off of the FarmDoc website the other day, you know, somewhere around $1,000 an acre to produce a corn crop this year probably 30%, 40% higher than it was a year ago, right? So that, to put it in perspective, just a monstrous number. 
But now the good news. The good news is to offset those inflationary pressures, those higher costs, are all-time highs in corn and soybean prices. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for the consumers that are listening to this show, that means their food prices are going up as well, right? So yay for the farmers that, that you know we have old crop corn, meaning 2021 crop corn at $8, over $8 today. Uh, new crop corn, over $7, unprecedented levels. Soybeans, $17 a bushel for old crop 2021 soybeans. New crop soybeans, uh, uh, around $15 a bushel. Just really unprecedented, but the rising tide of inflationary pressures has affected everything equally. That's not true. Similarly, similarly, right? So as we've had rising fertilizer prices, we've had rising commodity prices to help us offset those. So what does that mean profitability-wise? What that means profitability-wise, if I believe what I just said, and I do, is that we're going to be profitable in the 2022 crop year in the Midwest. I know that because we have things like multi-parallel crop insurance that we secure in March of 2022 that we've got some good prices locked in. Most farmers on this date in April have most all, if not all, of their commodity expenses locked in. So, so we're going into this growing season pretty comfortable, but it's that fear of the unknown. How, how do these inflationary pressures continue to affect us? Not just from a pricing standpoint, but the availability. It's just like when you're talking about getting a washer or dryer, you know, uh, can we get that washer or dryer? We're saying, can we get that pound of nitrogen? That's what I was going to ask you about. I've heard of yeah. shortages on the fertilizer side, yeah. Right. So a lot of the nitrogens or a lot of the fertilizers are priced out of the uh, out of New Orleans, right? So you look at a NOLA bid, so New Orleans, Louisiana bid, and, and they haven't softened much yet. And it's not just that they haven't softened at the Gulf of Mexico, but, but can we get them transported? Even if that Panamax pulled into the harbor, can we get that product from New Orleans to you know, Champaign County today, we're running out of days to do that. So that availability mm-hmm. thing is, is a real deal. But profitability looks good, uh, fear of the unknown, clouds on the horizons. But uh, the, the third leg of that stool that you just asked about was, you, know, you said expenses, commodity prices, and land prices, right? So what's our core asset? Our core asset is that farmland prices year over year, speaking a little broadly here, 30 to 35% up, Wow. In farmland prices. So when you look at the housing market, like uh, you and Aaron were just talking about, Kurt, uh, and you see the runaway prices, uh, uh, 30 to 35 percent, really? I mean, this is just an unpre- – we've seen, you know, 18 to 20 percent moves before, but this year-over-year thing is just – you know, we just keep setting new records all the time. So throw us some numbers to, to put that perspective. Yeah, what are we, what are we talking yeah. about? What, <laughs> yeah. are, what have you been seeing? In right, our so, area. Yeah, so let's just talk Champaign County, Illinois. So Champaign County, the you know, we, we've kind of got a north bias, south bias. South bias is more class A uh, uh, ground uh, from here to Pasotum, if you will. And and that's really kind of an eighteen to $20,000 an acre range where, again, uh, said differently, we were looking at twelve, thirteen thousand $13,000 an acre just a year ago at this time. A number of auctions that we at Busey Farm Brokerage have performed uh, east of Urbana just in the last month, $20,400 an acre. $20,100 an acre. Uh, we were down by Lovington uh, about three or four weeks ago, 18850 an acre. Wow. I mean, just numbers that are just, you know, it, it's just almost, it's not, it's unimaginable, but when we keep thinking about everything else that is setting record high, record high, record highs. And, and that's fueled by some of the same things, again, that Aaron was talking about. Mm-hmm. Low interest rates are our main driver, in my opinion, 
And when we start getting that, if we go from a 2.2 to a 2.9 and then we add another 50, mm-hmm. you know, to that, think about it like this, Kurt. If I have to go out and borrow $10,000 an acre uh, uh, to buy a piece of ground that's at 20000 and and I and I my interest costs just went up say two full percent, so I have to find two hundred more dollars an acre to make that interest payment. Well, I just said that our expenses were at a thousand, so there's another twenty percent that's going to be added to my cost. Th- th- that's troubling, right? And that's mm-hmm. how agriculture is affected similarly to the larger mm-hmm. uh, as the larger economy. So northern northern uh, uh, Champaign County, more B type ground, meaning Rantoul mm-hmm. uh, area and stuff like that. Uh, Probably fourteen to sixteen thousand for that ground, but it's all throughout the state. To two days ago, Macomb, Illinois, twenty three thousand four hundred dollars an acre. Whoa. I mean, for a hundred acres, these aren't little, wow. you know, five acre patches or anything like that. So just unprecedented. It's just, it, 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 is it a runaway train? Well, you know, it just keeps laddering, laddering, laddering up. But but all in a year, it's 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 really. I find it to be astounding right now. And and again. Profitability, who's the buyers, is, is kind of a similar question, too. Farmers are still uh, 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 probably the lion's share of our buyers, 50 to 60%. But investors, you know, are still finding looking for a safe place for their funds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, if I want to diversify my investment, I think, I think farmland is still a great part of a diverse portfolio. Well, Steve, I wish we did have two hours, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, because I just love this subject. And I don't know much about agriculture but I don't need to because I've got Steve on my team. Exactly. And for all those out here that don't know Steve or what we do, but Steve, uh, Steve always likes to say we manage dirt, we sell dirt, we buy dirt, we appraise dirt, and we consult on dirt. Yeah. Right, Steve? Absolutely. Cows, so you, cows, and plows. So if you ever need anything that has to do with agriculture, you contact Steve and BC uh, Ag Services. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. This went really fast. Steve, thanks so much for joining the program today. Uh, appreciate you as always. And you're listening to News Talk 1400 WDWS in Champaign-Urbana.